Hey guys, welcome back on the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel. This is Alf speaking for your weekly download of the latest article of my free newsletter, The Macro Compass. The article of this week is called On the Art of Macro Portfolio Construction. Now, global macro and markets are a gigantic puzzle and they will always lure most investors to think they can put all the pieces in the right place and find the holy grail of investing. But as Socrates used to say, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. Well, this is a little bit uh, exaggerated, I think, but it's just to prove my point and the common trait of all the best investors and hedge fund managers that I, I know is not that ha they have a macro crystal ball, but that they can embrace and live by a principle for which they try to maximize their odds of success, of achieving good returns while taking a predictable amount of risk rather than being always 100% right the whole time, because that's not going to happen. Now, this is generally achieved by a combining good macro skills with mastering the art of portfolio and trade construction. And I think there are basically three main, at least three main things that people should care about when it comes to portfolio or trade construction to maximize your odds of success in this highly unpredictable thing that we call global macro investing. The first is you should build and rely upon an unbiased and data-driven macro model, but you shouldn't blindly trust it. The second thing is that you should find the market's weak spots. And the third thing is that you should remember that correlations are not stable and that internals and cross-asset moves actually matter in your analysis. So the first thing, going to the first point, which is to build an unbiased and data-driven macro model, I want people to understand that global macro markets are not a zero or one binary outcome environment. They are rather a probabilistic setup. You have multiple potential outcomes, and there are odds that one of these outcomes could materialize over time. Then every investor has its own subjective probabilistic macro setup that needs to be weighted against market consensus. So how do I actually generate my own subjective probabilistic macro setup is via a data-driven macro model. But even after all the hard work I try to put behind that, I do not blindly rely on it solely for the investment decisions. Let's take an example. My own uh, macro model, for instance, uh, could be the macro compass. It's one of the many that I use. The macro compass uses forward-looking macro indicators like the credit impulse or more and a proprietary gauge for the monetary policy stance against neutral. Now, re real rates against R star, is the liquidity going up? Is it liquidity going down, etc., etc.? Together with the, putting together these two axes, basically, the compass, I try to grasp my subjective base case macro environment where we currently sit in. Today, this would look like quadrant four. So forward-looking macro indicators are pointing to a continued deceleration in economic activity, while the, relatively mon the relative monetary policy stance chosen by central banks is pretty tight compared to neutral. When you're in quadrant four, it's the worst possible setup for risk-adjusted and inflation-adjusted returns across asset classes. Basically, nothing works. Economic growth decelerates, central banks keep monetary policy tighter than equilibrium levels. So you should basically own very little assets, actually actively try to short as much as possible. Yet, I am overweight long and bonds in my portfolio, and I am not just indiscriminately short everything in the tactical portfolio I run. Why is that? Because I think to maximize the odds of success in building portfolios, you cannot solely rely on your own subjective assessment. You need to at least consider two more things. The first is that this is a relative, 
not an absolute exercise. So you should find your opponent's weak spots, which is basically the market's weak spots. You should aim to find the best risk-reward setups in the relative differences between what the market is pricing in and what your assessment suggests it's a highly likely outcome. So for instance, let's say you now think that the Federal Reserve will have to cut rates to 0% and the market is basically already discounting the very same probabilistic setup by already attaching a higher probability that rates will go to 0%. By adding a trade that would benefit from that, from that outcome, you are not really adding any value to your book. It's already priced in. Now, how do you basically weigh these relative discrepancies between your own assessment and the market pricing? First of all, you need to know and be able to grasp what the market is pricing in. So for a long-term investor, this can be done by looking at valuations and looking at probability distribution. Let's make an example for the Eurozone. On the 23rd of June, I bought 10-year-plus European and US Treasury bonds. Let's talk about the Euro bonds. I did this trade for my structural portfolio, so I'm going to keep those uh, for a while in the book. And why I did that is, as the chart shows, the ECB deposit rates, which the market was pricing in in one year, in two years, in three years, up until 15 years from now, were much, much above restrictive territory, which is basically above my estimate of neutral interest rates. And the, the market was pricing the ECB to keep these rates there for more than a decade to come, although the economy is already weakening very hard. So even if I account for an error, an error band in my estimate of what the neutral rate is, there is quite a large discrepancy from a valuation perspective, let's say. That makes me prone to look at this uh, potential investment for my structural portfolio, despite the macro compass wouldn't be suggesting immediately this is the best setup to have bonds. So as you can see, it's always a nuanced approach, not just a mechanical decision making. Another way to think about it would be to look at probability distributions. If you can find a very distorted one and you can anticipate how and when markets are going to try and normalize that, you actually have an edge. So I actually uh, put here the payoff of a digital option on Canadian dollar against Japanese yen for one year. It's not really complicated. If you bear with me for a second, I can explain what I mean. So this option requires you to pay the premium you see there of almost 80,000 Canadian dollar upfront to get the final payoff that you also can see in the screen there, which is $1 million Canadian dollar, if the Canadian dollar drops against the, J the Japanese yen by 20% or more, and you can see that 20% uh, out of the money forward there, and hence it trades basically below 80 against the Japanese, 80 and a half against the Japanese yen. Today, it's, uh, it's almost at 105 in one year from now. So you either lose your premium of 80,000 Canadian dollar, or you actually make 1 million Canadian dollar in one year from now. Now, the strike has been chosen to be 20% of the, out of the money because that's roughly a two standard deviation move, which is a two and a half percent probability, theoretical probability that this happens. Now, Given that you pay 80,000 Canadian dollar upfront and your final potential payoff is worth 1 million Canadian dollar, you're looking at a roughly 8% market implied probability priced in. Now, basically your question is, what is your subjective probability? Once you ass ass uh, assess what is the market implied probability, the market implied scenario and valuation going forward, you should be able to compare that to your subjective probability. And in this case, my probability is in the double digit area for Canadian dollar to weaken by a large extent against the Japanese yen in one year from now or over the next one year. That's the reason why I shorted the Canadian dollar against the Japanese yen and also the Australian dollar against the Japanese yen. 
The very reason, the underlying reason behind uh, this macro trade is that the Canadian private sector is more indebted than the Japanese private sector was at the peak of the real estate bubble in the 90s. So we are looking at the time where the Imperial Palace of Tokyo was worth more than the entire state of California. Now, at the same time, the Bank of Canada is actually tightening monetary policy, as every other central bank almost around the world, to tame inflation. And I think this process will compound the pain for a highly leveraged economy. There are already some signs of a slowdown in the Canadian housing market, uh, indeed. And on the other hand, as global economies slow down and yield differentials maybe close a little bit, I expect some money to marginally flow towards safe haven currencies, more stable currencies like the Japanese yen. So I don't know exactly whether the Canadian dollar will weaken by 20% or more against the Japanese yen. But I know that this probability distribution, my subjective probability distribution against the market pricing probability distribution could perhaps adjust over the next year. And I could benefit from uh, having this trade on, even though the final, the final payoff doesn't come through because as markets adjust their probability distribution towards mine, I could try to monetize this trade. Now, the third thing to remember is that when you structure a portfolio or a trade, correlations are not always stable. You cannot rely every time on history to assume correlations will be stable. And also you have to remember that internals of the stock market, of cross-asset correlations, um, they are very important to take investment decisions. Now, the true holy grail of investing is to find assets that are poorly correlated. You can add them to your portfolio. Perhaps they even add returns, but there is one problem. Correlations are not always stable. This chart shows the 90 days rolling correlation between long-end bonds in the US and the standard numbers 500, so TLT and SPX. And as you can see over the last basically 20 years, there has been a generally a negative correlation between bonds and stocks. The most observed, the median correlation was a negative 0.52, pretty healthy negative correlation. But you can also see from this chart that correlation can quickly become unstable. Recently, for instance, they've turned positive in a couple of instances because central banks won't and can't ease policy right now and make actually bonds rally faster during market drawdowns because of high and persistent inflation. Now, studying how cross-asset correlations behave during different market regimes, not assuming correlations will be stable, it's very important to limit drawdowns. Because in this way, you can effectively try and find what are the best uncorrelated assets or negative correlated assets that you can add to your portfolio without blindly relying on history as a guide for what is really correlated or uncorrelated against what. Now, the other thing you want, you might be interested in, especially if you're running a more tactical portfolio, is to compare the recent volatility adjusted moves across asset classes with what the theoretical behavior of this um, certain asset class should be in the macro regime we are in. One good example would be that last month, as you can see in this equity volatility adjusted market dashboard I built, it looks at different equity sectors, equity factors, equity styles, and volatilities and uh, jurisdictions from all over the world. Last month, the sectors of the stock market which delivered very solid volatility adjusted returns, so the ones where you see the, the darkest green uh, colored moves basically, were US industrial, US retail, and emerging market countries like Turkey. The laggards were staples and healthcare, where you see, yes, the market went up, but the color code is, is a very light green, which tends to say that the move in volatility adjusted terms was pretty small. So the darker the color, 
the more intense in volatility adjusted terms was the move, right? And you can see that the laggards there are the, the most safe and defensive sectors of the stock market. The leaders in this rally were the most cyclical, risk aggressive sectors of the stock market. Now, when you look at this stock market internals move, when you look at cross asset moves, you, this is valuable information when building a portfolio, especially a tactical one, because you can ask yourself together with all the questions and all the main three points we analyzed so far, does this fit in your macro picture? If not, maybe there is a good risk reward tactical opportunity out there, right? So the conclusion of this article is that mastering the art of macro portfolio construction, first of all, requires you to live and abide by the principle for which the true wisdom is that you don't know. Global macro investing is a giant puzzle. There is a lot of uncertainty out there, but we can increase and maximize the odds of success by looking at least at these three things. You should build and rely on unbiased and data-driven macro models, but you, should, you shouldn't blindly trust them for investment decisions. You should also try to find your, uh, the market's weak spots. So basically, by looking at valuations, by looking at what's priced in, by looking at probability distributions, you can understand whether your subjective assessment is really different from the market and try then to analyze whether there is an investment opportunity out there. When it comes to portfolio, strategic portfolio asset allocation, Correlations are very important, so you should keep in mind that those are not stable, and you should keep in mind that you can find a lot of information when you look at cross-asset moves and when you look at the internals of the stock market. Now, uh, just a recap uh, of how I try to embrace the data-driven model and how I try to reflect the principles I just described. My long-term ETF portfolio has still a good chunk of dollar cash has very low exposure to especially high cyclical, high beta industries that are maybe leading or were leading until last week, the rebound in the stock market. I am not buying this rebound. I think uh, actually that if you want to be allocated to the stock market, you should still prefer high quality names and the good balance sheet names to the, rather than the low beta industries. And I have a higher than usual exposure to 10 year plus government bonds, both in Europe and in the US. Basically speaking, this is not the moment to be very aggressive in markets, the moment to be nuanced. It's the moment as well to look at certain uh, relative valuations against my own macro assessment, which at the end of June suggested that it could be a good time to start accumulating long-end bonds in Europe and in the US. While it doesn't still uh, look like to me that the, my subjective risk assessment against what the market is pricing in, especially after the sharp rally of cyclical names over the last month, month, month and a half, suggests that taking exposure uh, and buying this rebound is a safe thing to do. When it comes to the tactical portfolio, uh, I have basically four positions running, three in FX, where I'm short euro against the dollar. Uh, I am also short a Canadian dollar and Australian dollar against the Japanese yen, mainly for the reasons I explained before when it comes to Canadian dollar. When it comes to euro against the dollar, it's effectively... Uh, I don't think the FX market and the equity market are fully appreciating what the energy market is pricing in. There is an inconsistency in there from a tactical perspective where the energy squeeze priced in not only for the winter, but also for 2023 and even 2024 is extremely harsh and coupled with the risk coming from Italian elections over the next uh, couple of months. I don't think the FX and the equity market in Europe are fully appreciating that. So I'm also short the euro against the dollar. I think we're going to bridge parity again. And uh, I also re-entered my short position on the Russell uh, above 2000. Again, I don't think the rally in cyclical names is particularly warranted given um, that those names don't necessarily benefit from 
um, a potential, even if we see one easing from the Federal Reserve, they need earnings to pick up to actually thrive against expectations. I don't think we are in an environment where that could happen. Now, always the reminder that this is maximum transparency from my side, but I can be wrong. I will be wrong exactly as we just discussed in the article. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to maximize the odds of uh, having decent returns while taking a measured uh, amount of risk on the books. Now, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, if you uh, want to have any inquiry, if you want to you know, partner up with me, sponsor me, or whatever you want to do, actually ask a question, you can always do that at themacrocompass at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel if you want to hear my interviews as well. We do one every week with a specialist uh, in one of the fields. We try to make it as educational as possible. And every week we digest my brand new the Macro Compass free article. By the way, you can subscribe to the newsletter as well. It's free of charge. It's at themacrocompass.substack.com or you can just Google the Macro Compass and you'll find it. I'll see you next time, guys. Mm-hmm.